0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, people today are always looking for the next greater thing. They're always looking for what's bigger and better and faster and more impressive. This is especially true for things like technology. Technology changes so quickly it seems like once you've purchased something new, it's, it's uh, already out of date, whether it's a TV or computer or smartphone. So you always have to be on the lookout for what's next. Maybe a lot of people will be looking for the next greatest and latest generator, especially with the weather we've been having. I think this next greater mentality though, and it's a mentality, It's an attitude towards life that our society, by and large, has adopted. We're always in search of whatever the next greater thing is. What's the next greater diet? What's the next greater money-managing strategy? The next greater home improvement? The next greater medical treatment? The next greater spiritual trend or philosophy? This can actually become quite an addiction In life and addiction because we're never quite satisfied with what we have when we have it and we're always on the move to something else well today in our gospel reading Jesus talks to us about the greater things in life except instead of turning us towards a never-ending quest for something that's always just out of reach Jesus points Nathanael and he's pointing us towards something that's not just the next greater thing, but is indeed the greatest thing. Our text this morning is from our Gospel reading, John chapter 1, and there we find Jesus at the outset of his earthly ministry. Epiphany is the season of our church year where we hear about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Epiphany began with the revelation of the Christ child to the Magi. Last week we heard about the baptism of our Lord. In John chapter 1, John the baptizer proclaims Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Epiphany then moves on to Jesus calling his his first disciples. Jesus had, had just called in John chapter 1 two of John's disciples to be his own, and that was Andrew and Simon Peter. And then Jesus goes on to call Philip, which is where we begin today. And so verse 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And then Philip proceeds to find Nathanael and said to him, we have found him. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. To which Nathanael famously or maybe infamously replies, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Many people criticize Nathanael for saying this. Of course, we look back on his words and, and we know what we know about Jesus. But, but before we come down too hard on Nathanael, I'll point you to Jesus' own words about Nathanael, which he says in the very next verse. He sees Nathanael coming toward him and he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Nathanael might say what's on his mind, But he also is a guy who says the truth. Nathanael was only expressing what the rest of Israel would have thought about a man coming from Nazareth who claims to be the one who fulfills the law and the prophets as well as the one who's the Messiah. The province of Galilee, where Nazareth was, was way up north. It was bordering all these unclean Gentile lands. It was too far from holy Jerusalem, which was in the southern province of Judea. No self respecting Judean would look for the Son of God, the King of Israel, in a place like Galilee, let alone a small, lowly town like Nazareth. Jerusalem was where the center, the real center of kingly power and rabbinic authority was. That's where King David had once ruled. That's why the chief priests and the scribes were there. Still, face to face with this man that Philip said was the Messiah, Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we're not sure exactly what this means or what exactly Jesus was revealing to Nathanael for for saying it, but it's clear, whatever it was, it meant something to Nathanael, perhaps maybe even something miraculous that Nathanael didn't expect Jesus to know. And so in response, the truth-telling Israelite says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. It seems to us that it took so little for Nathaniel to arrive at such a bold proclamation, and yet was he correct? Well, Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the King of Israel, so yes, Nathaniel is correct, but could Nathanael have possibly understood everything that all his words actually meant? It seems not, based on what Jesus says next. Jesus answered him, "'Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe?' Nathaniel, you will see greater things than this. You know, the Israelites had long been awaiting the next greater thing. They were longing for the Messiah and their king. And Jesus had come to be Messiah and king, but, but not in a way that any of them could have anticipated Jesus tells Nathanael that he will see even greater things. And that that seems to start right away in the very next chapter of John's Gospel. Nathanael will see Jesus perform his first miracle at the wedding in Cana, turning water into wine. He will see Jesus cleanse the temple of the money changers. And think about all the years Nathanael spends with Jesus. Nathanael will see unending numbers of sick people healed, dead people raised, lame people be able to walk, hungry people fed, And in the eyes of mankind, all of this will truly seem like the next greater thing. Like it couldn't get any better than this. Almost all of Israel on Palm Sunday would be ready and willing to crown Jesus as their king, proclaiming him to be the son of God and the son of David. But as great as all those things really would be, All the teachings, all the miracles, all the actions that Jesus will take. Right at the outset, before any of it happens, in our gospel reading today, Jesus prepares Nathanael for the thing that will be even greater than all of that. He says in verse 51, Jesus describes what the greatest moment will be. The moment, Jesus says, when the heavens will be opened and the angels of God will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what is that? That may seem confusing to us. What is Jesus talking about? Well, to understand that, we have to understand the reference. It's a reference that any Jewish person in the first century AD would have picked up on immediately when they heard it, particularly the part of heaven being open and angels ascending and descending. That's a clear reference to Genesis 28, the account of Jacob's dream, the moment in Jacob's life when God came to him and spoke directly to him to assure him of his presence and of his promise to save. And it was in that dream that Jacob saw a staircase or a ladder connecting heaven to earth and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And Jacob declares, how awesome is this place. This is none other than Bethel, the house of God. And this is indeed the gate of heaven. So when Jesus told Nathanael that he would see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, He is saying that Nathanael would witness an extraordinary moment, just like Jacob did, when heaven would be opened and God would be fully present to assure Nathanael and all who witnessed it of his presence and his promise to save. But this time there is no ladder or staircase. No, the bridge between heaven and earth, Jesus says, the gate of heaven would be the Son of Man himself. Jesus is saying, that the promise once given to Jacob is now fulfilled in him. And this would have been a wonderful thing to hear, too wonderful to even comprehend fully. But still, the question is when? When would that moment be? What would Nathaniel actually see? When would this greater of all greater things take place? Well, let me ask all of you. And this will require some congregational participation this morning. When is the moment? When is the moment when Jesus becomes the bridge between heaven and earth for us, making a way for us to be reconciled to God with heaven standing open and Jesus as the gate? When is that moment? When he's on the cross. On the cross. It was the moment of the cross. The moment when the curtain in the temple was torn in two and there was no more barrier between us and the father because Jesus's sacrifice paid the price for our sin and all that separates us from him. Jesus was pointing Nathaniel already to the cross. Now what's ironic about this moment, this powerful moment, this greatest moment that Jesus is referring to is that from a human perspective, It will actually seem to be a moment of great weakness. It's the moment of Jesus' suffering and crucifixion and death. Again, on Palm Sunday, the crowds will want to crown the powerful miracle worker, Jesus, as their earthly king, the one who even raises the dead. And in our gospel reading, Nathaniel is so impressed by Jesus when he said he saw him under a fig tree that he proclaimed him to be the son of God and the king of Israel. But Jesus tells Nathanael and he tells us that the greatest thing, the greatest moment will be when he offers himself into death upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But the people of Israel will look upon the cross with disdain. How could the king, how could the Messiah die in such a shameful way? This does not seem to be bigger. This does not seem to be better. This does not seem to be greater. Nathaniel and all the other disciples will flee from him. Peter will deny him. The Son of God will die, and the enemies of Jesus will seem to get exactly what they want. How could that be greater? Well, it begs the question of us today, do we always understand the greater things of God? If you think about it, if we had been part of the crowd standing at the foot of the cross, would we have understood why it was necessary for Jesus to die? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to say no, we wouldn't have. And we don't always understand what's truly greater in this world. We can't always see why certain things are necessary. Only God can and only God does. And in that moment, the cross would have seemed to us anything But great. But you see, that's the point. Each and every day our world is so caught up with judging and chasing after whatever they think is greater, that in order to have the greatest life, you need to have this kind of background, or this kind of skin color, or this kind of nationality, or this kind of health, or this kind of job, or this kind of family, or this kind of money, or this kind of house, or this kind of success. And when you don't have one or all of those things, then your task is to constantly pursue those things endlessly, by any means necessary, and around and around you'll go until you die. But what Jesus offers you is a way to get off that never-ending carousel to give you what is truly greater. Jesus tells you today that there is only one thing greater, and that's him on the cross for you. Nothing in your pursuit of greater things in this life will ever truly satisfy what your greatest need is, your need for a savior, a savior who would die for your sins and who would be your bridge between you and heaven.
1: And the fact that
0: Jesus is pointing Nathanael not only to himself but himself on the cross Reminds us that sometimes God uses things to our way of thinking that actually look worse. The things that look weak, not strong. The things that look foolish, not wise. The things that look like failure, not success. Sometimes God even uses the things of a sin-infested and fallen world like the cross to accomplish his greater plan. Which means that not even sin and evil are beyond God's ability to redeem and to use for his purposes. It means that we should be cautious to say that something that God has allowed in our lives, like suffering or weakness, shouldn't be there because we don't think it's great enough for us. But you see, that judgment doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God and to God alone. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians describes his long battle with a thorn in his flesh, which was likely a chronic or even debilitating disease of some kind. Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But then Paul gives what the Lord said to him in response, which was, no. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness God didn't offer Paul an explanation other than for God, no weakness, no part of this fallen world, not even a cross, can stop God from doing all that he intends to accomplish. And so, what was Paul's response to that? He didn't say, Well, you owe me God, or God, don't you know that Christians are supposed to have their best lives now, or God, I should be able to name and claim whatever blessing I want in life. No, Paul didn't say any of that. He said, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, and insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This world... This world in the way that it thinks, it has us running away from all of those things that Paul just listed. Weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. And it would have us run towards whatever it defines as the next greater thing. That's the way the world thinks. but That's not how we think. By the power of Jesus and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in us, we aren't concerned about the next greater thing. Thanks be to God, we don't have to be. Because nothing that we could ever pursue would ever fulfill us or bring us salvation. Instead, we only need to be concerned about the greatest thing, which Jesus reminds us today is himself and all that he has done to win for us our salvation by his cross and by his resurrection. And that means that we can step off that never-ending carousel of always having to chase the next greater thing and instead be at rest and content in the greatest thing, our Savior Jesus Christ. Because when we are weak, even when we are weak, because we are in Jesus, then we are strong. In his name, amen.